and we spent like I think like two or three hours just talking about compilers and and life a little bit. So, Aww. so the two That's go hand nice. Compilers and life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're trying to figure out which one is harder. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. We have got some conferences coming up that some of us are very involved in and very excited about. Uh, first up in May, on May 19th and 20th, we've got Gig City Elixir, which is happening in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, if that makes you think of Bruce, you would be right to do so because he is one of the forces behind this conference. We also have the MPEX conference that is coming back to New York for the first time since the pandemic. And uh, the CFP for that is open. I would love to see submissions from our listeners. Uh, join us in June in New York. Welcome to Beam Radio. I'm Lars Wikman. And I'm here with our lovely panel. Let me introduce Alex Kutmus. Howdy, howdy. And new to the panel, Meryl Dakin. Hello, happy to be here. And of course, before we introduce our fabulous special guest, I just want to give a quick shout out to Groxio, Career Fuel for Programmers. Bruce isn't here, so he'll update you another time on what's going on there. And also, Underjord, my company. And currently, I'm really curious to see if there are any Elixir companies out there hiring that want help finding people. Uh, but you can also read what I'm up to at underjord.io. Check out the newsletter if you want to keep up to date. Now, our special guest today is Jose Valim. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Very welcome to the pod. Now, we always ask our guests or almost always, how they got into Elixir. And I know you're really, really new to the language and sort of <laughs> fresh. So maybe you can give a little bit of background for the people that don't know how you got into Elixir. Well, uh, I'm not the short going version. to... Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I've, I've created Elixir after battling many battles with concurrency and losing all of them until I found the Arling Virtual Machine, fell in love, eventually thought that there were things that I would want to see or do different or improve. Um, sat with those ideas for about a year, did some prototypes, some of them sucked. Um, if you don't believe me, they are on GitHub, so you can go really back in the history. Um, but eventually, I think I figured out what I wanted and uh, what I needed. And yeah, and been working uh, with Elixir and on Elixir, you know, uh, originally, like at the beginning, part-time, but full-time for, I don't know how many years, but a lot, uh, definitely. Um, well, as, as long as the language exists. Well, not as long as the language exists, but almost as long. Yeah. So asking asking uh, when you got into it is a little bit ironic, considering uh, you started it. Now, you're not just doing Elixir. Like, you're not only developing the language itself. And I think there are a, few, in, a decent number of others contributing to the language. And then there's, like, Phoenix, which is... Also, 
hinges a lot on Ecto, and Ecto seems to be a project you've, I believe you started Ecto, or at the very least worked heavily on Ecto. I see you answer the Ecto mailing list regularly. How many major projects are you actually involved in uh, driving this ecosystem? Ecto was started by uh, Eric from HexPM. Uh, oh. He started uh, Ecto and Postgrex. I believe that Ecto was like kind of the first sponsorship project we had in the Elixir community. Uh, there was uh, Eric was still studying and uh, we had a Google Storm of Code, but we were not approved. I think Elixir was too, you know, too young, too early. And then I reached out to Dave Thomas and also Devin Torres uh, and his company who were like, you know, already investing a little bit in Elixir. And uh, Prague Prague, they, you know, they sponsored Eric's work um, with uh, Devin's company, which I think was InterTravel or something like that at the time. That's how Ecto started. I ended up uh, with time um, helping and taking some of the responsibilities there. I would say there are a couple projects where let's say that I am like a maintainer maintainer, which is like, you know, uh, I, I would consider myself uh, on the hook. So there is like Elixir itself, uh, plug, um, to some sense, Acto, and we can talk a little bit more about Acto soon, uh, Broadway and NX. I think those are like the ones that I'm really working on and get involved, but like Phoenix and Phoenix Live View. Uh, it's pretty clear to to like to like to Chris that I help uh, when I want uh, and when I can. Uh, it's just that I'm very excited about those things, so I am <laughs> helping, uh, you know, somewhat frequently. And you know, I think like some of the problems that you know, if if the problem uh, in itself is like interesting to me, challenging to me, I am um, getting involved. So Live View has like the whole approach of like how to be smart and compile the templates and minimize the data over the wire. And that for me, like, you know, like that's like a very exciting challenge and I've worked on that, but there's also a lot of JavaScript in LiveView and I wrote zero of that because it's not an era that I am like um, personally excited about. Um, so yeah, and then I contribute, like I contribute to other projects um, here and there, but I think those ones, um, are the ones that I am like active. And then they are like, and to be fair, like they are smaller libraries, but like most of the things they don't require like my constant attention. So like Acto, for example, uh, not only, you know, we said for our look, this is the API, this is stable. We are not planning to do any like major changes in here, but there is also a team with Philippe and Greg and, Greg, and they are both fantastic. Uh, so, you know, um, it's, it, it's, it's really not a lot of work. Yeah. And I reckon some of those nimble libraries that have popped up here and there, uh, I think a few of them have your name on them, but they also don't probably change all that much and they're not yeah. major projects. Yeah. Their, their whole goal was to, was to, uh, like to be nimble, to be small. So it's like, I'll do it once and I don't have. Uh, and, and hopefully I don't have to touch them again. There was even like these, uh, like um, I think a year ago or maybe, well, 
nobody knows how travel works after after lockdown but um but like some time ago somebody was saying well all those libraries they are like before one know why do we have so many libraries before one know and then when i look to the nimble libraries it's like 80 percent of them had like the last commit like a year ago and we just like forgot to release one know and then i went and release one know for for everything like there are other projects, like for example, uh, that I was very involved in the past, like Gen Stage and Flow as well, and like Gen Stage powers an absolutely like large amount of stuff, but it's like one pull request, one issue a year or something like that. So it basically doesn't count. So it's it's really nice like to have a lot of those projects that are like done and um, and it's pretty much. Um, out of sight, out of mind. Where would you say that you're focusing most of your attention these days? I feel like we might have a guess, but what would you yeah, say yeah, that is? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the answer is definitely uh, machine learning and, uh, and live book. And it has been, so th there is a, th let me tell a little bit of a story. So, um, at like at the beginning of of the, the 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 lockdown, like at the beginning of 2020, I was actually doing a little bit of like uh, soul searching in the sense that uh, like I felt like the the because I always saw like one of the reasons I'm very active in those projects is it's like it's two reasons. One is that for me it was always the goal of elixir of the elixir language to be small and extensible, so we can take it to multiple domains. And I knew that some of that work and would have like, I would have to be involved for that to happen. But, you know, like with projects like Nerves and Membrane, it's very exciting because it's happening and uh, people are using, people are excited about those things. And I really don't know much of what is happening there, except that I am available to them if they need any help or so. Um, so, but I knew like, I would have to get involved in some of those. And I actually saw the second thing is that I actually saw that as my responsibility, like to maybe try to create like those new branches. So for example, if you if you take like web, like I started with I did some prototypes, I started with plug, but then Chris took it and did the whole rest of the work, which I would not be able to do either uh, myself anyway. So you know, uh, it was really fantastic. So my idea was, well, you know, what are the things that I can extend? And then uh, at the beginning of 2020, I was like, well, you know, I feel like I was feeling like I did everything I could like possibly do or feel like accessible to do. Of course, I knew there were like a bunch of other domains, but the things that felt like accessible and I I could, I could like invest and get something out of it, it feels like they were done. There was the the only exception to this was, was the typing work, which I was already like investigating at the type uh, at the time, but like that's an addition to Elixir, not to the ecosystem. So I was like, you know, like maybe I have like this dream where I want to to um, do things with music. I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, so if I if you know if I'm going like to retire between quotes, so let's say you know I only need to stay twenty percent of the of my time in front of the computer. Uh, I think I would be doing things with music. So I was like, maybe I should start investing on that and like getting that part. But then one person uh, wrote a book, one person dared to write a book. 
which was Sean Moriarty. He wrote a book called Genetic Algorithms in Elixir. And when he wrote that book, he changed my life because I sent him an email and we started talking about ideas of things that we could do to have actual machine learning in Elixir. And from that, I went from like, oh, you know, like uh, Dashbit, I think we're like four people or something like that. We went from like Dashbit to from being like four people to uh, Dashbit being like eight, nine people. We brought like four or five people only to work on open source. And we started an X, which is like compiling Elixir for the GPU. And then uh, and that was uh, at the beginning, uh, it was Sean, um, uh, Jacko and myself, we started working on the project and then Sean got that and he built uh, Exxon on top of it. And then I was like, well, if you're going to do this machine learning stuff, uh, we should have like this interactive notebooks thing that Python has. But, you know, we should try to like add our own version because Elixir is so good for the web and with LiveView just being launched uh, like a year maybe or a little bit more ago, it feels like it's the perfect technology to us write that. And then I started working on that and start getting really, really excited too about the ideas because once we start working with LiveBook, so for those who are not familiar, LiveBook is like, a, it's a web app where you can write Elixir code and execute. But the thing is because it runs on the browser, you're not like confined like to the textual representation of a terminal. Everything can be, you know, if you're going to, even in the simple example, like if you say, look, I'm going to print a tree. Now you just don't print a tree. You can print a collapsible tree where people can click and expand. Those things that are hard, harder things to do in the terminal are like, oh, I want to, I want to print a supervision tree. You're going to be like, Alex was helping us with that. It's like, well, you know, we can now like print the whole diagram. It's not just like PIDs and numbers. So it just completely changes the way you can think about how users are going to interact with the language, which I kind of feel like, I kind of feel feel a little bit silly that, you know, I was not thinking about those things before because it's such a good perspective in trying to, to revisit some problems or think how people are going to approach problems if they have like richer tools. So it started this whole thing with, with Livebook, which is, in, and then, as I think in usual Elixir terms that we try to have like a very integrated community and ecosystem, Livebook started being used a lot of, uh, by nerves as well. So it's not really like a machine learning tool. It's being used for, for everything and everybody. And that's what is very exciting. So yeah, that's kind of where my mind has been at a good amount of the time. It's Livebook, it's machine learning, uh, a lot of the intersection between those things. And also uh, working, I have been working on the type system stuff for a while too. And there is always, uh, there is always some time going to that as well. I'm kind of curious. Well, you probably, probably realize at this point that all the, the questions are going to have long answers. So <laughs> yeah. Like Somehow we'll manage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to ask, what was the... What what was the topic that you read in Sean's book that really kind of got your gears turning? That you know that kind of really. I, I did. I didn't read the book. That's the best part. I didn't read the book. I it was just like he got me by the title. Like oh, I literally course, judged title. that book by the cover, and it was a great, it was a great thing. I did not do a mistake there. So you haven't well, really confirmed that there's anything in that book. 
<laughs> yes, right. Maybe maybe it was just uh, maybe it's all pages intentionally left blank. Maybe he was just baiting me, you know. But it it was great. Yeah, um, really really changed a, a lot. And I've been learning a lot. And this has been like um, you know, like the, when I was like working on Elixir, creating Elixir, I studied so much. I read so many things, and I haven't done that in a really long period of time. Of course, I'm studying and learning, but it's not like I'm spending a really like large chunk of my time. And when everything started, when all this started, I feel like I am learning something new. I am exploring, reading something different, like almost every day. And and that's really, it's really exciting to be back in this place too. Yeah, taking Elixir from sort of a fledgling language into a full-blown language was probably more sort of evolving and being very serious about things and thinking hard and maintaining and all of that good stuff but i maybe not always all that exciting uh so i can totally see sort of a a new venture uh be exciting i actually used nerves live book uh two days ago with a with a bunch of .NET developers uh so i i'm trying to start a small elixir meetup locally and there there's a a kernel of interest i have i have at least five people showing up every time so far so um nice. and i pulled together a bunch of mango pies and just uh, put nervous live book on them and we went went through a bunch of things uh, it's a really really interesting way to start someone off it's like no no you don't need to install elixir you don't actually need to bring anything else than a web browser like uh, i got your computer here it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating piece of software, and I imagine you hired Jonathan specifically so that you would never, still never, have to touch JavaScript, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a funny story there. Uh, so uh, Jonathan, he he he. So like we had an issue I, on Next Stop for a while. I think I think it was an issue to get read was to get rid of a large. Uh, JavaScript dependency. I don't know if it's jQuery. I don't know if you are as old as jQuery. Anyway, there was like there was a large JavaScript dependency, and uh, and there was an issue that was there, you know, for a while. There, this issue was there, and then it comes up a request, like doing that. Like nobody asks, "Hey, can I work on this? Like, what are the plans?" Just somebody like sends up a request, like. Uh, like writing like this this rewriting like this huge chunk of xdoc i tried out i checked the code the code looks great it's all javascript but the code looks great i i tried out everything works and I'm like this is amazing right thank you very much so i went to see uh, and then i went to the github i was like oh nice he's a student here in krakow right uh Jonathan, like this is great and uh, and then I see that he and this was a, a mistake. Uh, I saw like uh, from I think from his website I saw like his his curriculum. So he was still in university, and it said that, it, and it said that you know he there was this application something live. So uh, Jonathan he he was like a, I don't know if you can say like professional, but he was like a he would do like the Rubik's cube competitions, right? Like where you go and you you try to solve it in like two seconds three seconds or or beat the world record i think he even held a world record for a certain type of of problem uh of like of aspect of the competition and then he built a website 
for the competition because when you're in the competition you have you have like the whole organization like who is going to compute who is going to do things here and there so he built this website in phoenix and the website had live in the name and i thought like oh it, it's then i thought like it's probably done with live view right and then i reached out to him like hey uh you know like uh i've, I've been having this idea for a while of um of like building something close to Jupiter, it would be, it would have, you know, uh, we, it's going to be done with live view, but there's probably still a good amount of JavaScript that needs to be written. And like, do you wanna, do you wanna chat? Like uh, he said, yes, we, we go to a meeting and then, and then oh, and then he replied to the email, like, that sounds great, let's talk. But by the way, like the application was not written with live view, the, the one for the competition. And then and I was like, no problem, let's talk. And then and then we talked, and then uh, it went great. I was like, you know, you wanna you wanna work on those things. He he was very excited about working on live book, and he started working on it. And I think like he started like in January, and in April, um, uh, he launched it. That's pretty cool. Did he happen to write it in Vue? Because I see a lot of Vue code finding its way into live book for like the the JavaScript components. No, so LiveBook itself is is it's mostly uh, live view. Most things happen in the server with some of JavaScript in hooks, like, and that's just like pure JavaScript that we don't use any like front end framework. But the components themselves, they are like they are completely isolated. They run in an iframe, so they they kind of like start with a blank slate. So when you have like a smart cell or some sort of like live output, those things, they are, it's completely blank slate, like you're starting a page from scratch. So you can pick any framework. Uh, he picked a view for uh, most of those. And then, you know, uh, through the the glorious art of copy and pasting, I think that kind of spread out to the other um, smart cells. But in some places we even use React, for example, because maybe we are using, we are using like, um, a library that, so for example, like for the data tables, we want to use a library and that library is for React and then we pick React. So it's kind of nice in a way that we're not prescribing any architecture. People can just use whatever they want. That's pretty cool. I thought it was an intentional decision because it stays on brand, live view, and you can spell it differently. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The crossover no one in the community asked for. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll stop the dad jokes now. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about live book being a great case for nerves. Um, and I have seen when you were saying that Lars, I've seen people who are not programmers, hobbyists more and into tinkering and stuff get into Elixir via nerves because they're excited about um, the possibilities there. And I think that's a very cool way of coming into the language. But outside of nerves, Jose, what um, other applications do you think LiveBook would be great for that you're not quite seeing it get adopted for yet? I'm honestly, I'm, I'm not sure because, because in a way, like LiveBook, it's like a, a, a very rich editor that you know, and that you can attach the documentation to it. So there, there are so many things that you can do with this idea that I am still like trying to grasp. Like one of the things that we want, we we have in our roadmap is like actually deploying our notebooks because 
the, I think I think like the usual standard that people are using is like, well, we want to write documentation for our systems. Uh, but I think like one of the thing the things that we're starting to see and and using is that people are like, well, we want to automate something instead of saying run this script, we can say run this lifebook, and we started seeing people do more and more with that, and uh, and that's something we want to invest on as well. But they are like because it's just like a cold environment, and we try to be like very extensible, like you know, there, I don't know what to say, like what to expect and what people should do because it's it's very, it's very open, like the 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 possibilities, um, yeah. That's really interesting. So I, it's something that I've not thought of, but for something like maybe running internal or administrative tasks that you wanna to expose to people in your org that are not programmers or, you know, a product person, Livebook might be something that would be a great use case for that adopting it as like an internal tool in that way. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that we 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 are working on right now because people will still so for example, one of the things that we struggle with Livebook is to find like the architecture. We we are like, well, we have this Livebook and then we're like and then people are going to run it on the server and then they are going to share it with other people when it's running on the server. But we really struggled that with that architecture because everything uses their lane distribution, and their lane distribution has like no security in it. So it's like, you know, if you do that, it's it, it's like everything is open for everybody. So it's not a good model. Um, so we we were thinking for a while like how to how to solve those problems, and then we ended up in there. So like. Livebook is like, it's collaborative, but I think like very few people are using the collaborative features because right now we landed in a place where Livebook run, you're meant to run it in your desktop. It's not like an application that you deploy. It can be, you definitely can go and deploy that, but we focus a lot on the desktop app, which is, and like Nerves Livebook was the first, which is, you know, like click a button and you have Livebook running with the whole Elixir environment and you can start playing with this exploring, which, uh, also goes back like to all the learning experience and getting started with Elixir. But we want to, now that we kind of figure out the architecture, like so if, I, so if I have live book running on my machine, how is the process for me to get that live book and convert it into something like read only or execute only and put it on a server? And, and then you can share with people in your company that is just want to generate a report or just want to like diagnose something that is running production and and I feel like that's the next that's where our area is going our head is going to be at uh, over the next months and see what are the challenges with that. I've definitely heard people say that Livebook would be well suited to sort of BI business intelligence type of work, but there is that aspect of uh, remote code execution as a service if you if you're not careful. Um, I've also heard people mention sort of using it for more developer style documentation and sort of run books and like, okay, this is how you get that annoying report that we need once every quarter. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, just showing people how to do particular things, getting at particular pieces of data, that being documentation that you both can run sort of on your dev, dev environment, but potentially also 
in serious environments. Yeah, and I think there, there is like a, a tension in there, which is like, for example, you mentioned BI, but because like live book is general, it, it, it's, it, it's like it's general purpose. It's very hard for us to be, because when we think about BI tools, we're really thinking about like non-programmers and we have like been, like we have been working a lot with like, so when we added smart cells in LiveBook, so the smart cell is something like, for those who are not familiar, you can click a button and say, hey, I want to do a database connection. And then it pops up a widget, a UI that asks our database credentials. And behind, and then you can fill in the credentials and behind the, the, the UI, you can ask to see the code. So I like to say it's like uh, a UI driven way to write code. Um, so when we added smart cells, one of the, the goals that we had exactly, well, how can we make everything more accessible for, for developers or even people, it can be Elixir developers who don't know how to use a tool like, which is very useful for machine learning. Like the 99% of Elixir developers, they don't know how to do machine learning. So today in Livebook, you can click a button and have a machine learning running and you, you didn't write the code, but you can see the code and inspect it. So um, so we try to improve a lot this experience, but because it's general purpose, there's like this tension where it's very hard for us to specialize in a domain like BI without making it less general purpose. So, uh, so right, because like if you if you're going to see other tools that are useful for BI, they 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 are very specific. They are very narrow in that use case, and then they are going to have specific features and specific integrations that is hard for us to compete with. So that's one of the things that you know is likely to keep me up at night. Is like, well, you know, are those are those are the trade offs that I want to make, and uh, when do I want to make them? Um, so. Yeah, I just wanted to mention like this tension. I guess it's a tension common in some way, like to product development, right? Like, you know, uh, yeah. I've very much enjoyed using it as a BI tool. I'll usually do like a PG dump uh, from production locally. And then that way I don't have to worry about any kind of security. And then I have a whole bunch of Vega light graphs. I can kind of get a, a sense for how things are going in my little uh, bootstrap SaaS. So for, for that use case, I think it works perfectly. But then again, my bootstrap SaaS is me and my brother. So very small, doesn't have to scale very much to teams or anything. But yeah, that is interesting. Like when you're trying to answer the question, what else should this be adopted for? I think what you're saying is like, I don't want to answer that because that limits then the extensibility of what this can be. Um, we want to keep it as general purpose as possible and allow people to sort of organically figure out what it's good for so that we don't have to hone in on one particular realm for it to be in yeah it's not that we want to do that but that there is a tension and i don't know what is the answer mm -hmm. so you know i feel it's also because i think like one of the things that i started live book for was like to for the growth of the elixir itself and the elixir community right so uh becoming more specific it's also going to go against that growth so it's all trade-offs all, there are all those trade-offs. And, and right now we are like, well, we are making small decisions. We are not making uh, big ones and we'll see how it will go. So switching tracks a little bit, but still staying pretty close to Livebook. There's been a lot of AI machine learning talk recently. And as someone who recently joined the machine learning uh, channel, the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation, I've seen a lot of the buzz <laughs> recently. So the Bumblebee project is super cool and we might get 
more into that. But one of the things I'm curious about is sort of what applications of AI or machine learning that you're really interested in and what parts maybe you would just rather skip or if there are any that you don't find particularly compelling. I don't know, actually. Like my interest is is like technological. Like I like solving those problems. I like, for some reason, I like working on a compiler that gets Elixir code and converts it to the GPU. And and I know people can do very exciting things. I found I found uh, stable diffusion uh, particularly like very exciting, and I I'm very happy you know to 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 see that we can run that in Elixir, right? And the nice thing is like after we run it, now we get to optimize it, and I like all this stuff. Um, yeah, and and I'm not thinking about like about necessarily applications. You know, it's kind of like. It's kind of in a way like, you know, I've been doing Elixir for 10 years and I have never built a product or, you know, that runs on top of Elixir, even though it can be uh, great for uh, uh, a very large amount of things. So it's kind of funny that, you know, I can be machine learning as well. One of the things that I thought was like, it to like going to machine learning areas, like there are one thing one concern and one annoyance that I have is that a lot of people saying like, oh, we are like democratizing AI. And it's like, and for that, we have like this machine learning model where you need to have like 30 GPUs for it to run. I was like, you know, I'm like, well, it's, <laughs> I don't think that is really like democratizing anything. And we see that happening a lot. And one of my concerns is that uh, like, will the machine machine learning things continue growing to the point where the only way you can actually benefit it is by paying a cloud company to do it. Like that's a legit concern that I have. And I'm not sure if a lot of people, they are worried about it. And I think that's why like stable diffusion was so exciting because it was accessible with like, with uh, in Elixir right now, we still have more optimization work to do, but in Elixir right now, with a, a GPU with three, four gigabytes, you can run it. I think the Python one, they, I think even like one gigabyte is enough to run the Python one. We'll get there. Um, so I, I found I found like this particular aspect uh, exciting, but I do have a lot of concerns like what it means in the long term. And I think Elixir can be exciting in this space because uh, it, I don't, f like it does allow you to, easily run your machine learning models embedded into anything, embedded uh, into nerves, embedded into your Broadway pipeline, embedded your web application. You're not necessarily saying, look, I'm getting this machine learning model and giving it to Amazon or give it to somebody else to run it. You, I think you have like this freedom aspect that I find it's very interesting and, and, and elegant to our solution. Yeah, democratizing AI when you need sort of a whole pile of A100 Tensor uh, cards that cost like uh, more than 10K Euro each. It's like, yes, maybe, but maybe not. But being able to run them, like 
that's one reason why I'm excited about the Whisper model, that the first open model by OpenAI, sort of, or one of the most useful ones they've released. Because that seems to run on pretty much anything, uh, essentially. It's pretty can be pretty lightweight. There's a bunch of different sizes. Like if you want to run in mobile devices, you can use the tiny ones, and depending on sort of what quality you need out of it. But it transcribes audio into text, which is also a super useful thing and sort of an accessibility thing. Um, and maybe it's going to turn out that it's been trained on all the stolen, stolen audio snippets and the worst, worst, worst sources. But fundamentally, it just seems to turn sound into text, which is probably the least controversial model in recent work. Uh, yeah, and uh, so like in terms, speaking in terms of applications, uh, so one that I could potentially be interested in, so I had a, I had like an arm, that I'm going to tell two stories. Uh, so uh, I had an arm injury uh, pretty much about a year ago, and, uh, and I'm not fully recovered yet, but one of the things that I changed is that I started integrating like more assistive tools to my workflow. So I have like the the eye tracker uh, when I want to have a, a break and I can rely on the eye tracker. And there is this project called Talon, T-A-L-O-N, which is open source, which a bunch of those tools. And one of the things is that uh, I really struggle with dictation tools uh, because of my accent. So there is like uh, this funny, like even with, you know, like using the things from my phone, uh, or from you know from Apple or Google, which are supposed to be good, I really struggle with them. And there's like this funny story where uh, I was trying to dictate some um, some of the annex documentation, and I said uh, to see the tensor, and the translator came came up with uh, not the translator, the, the dictation thing came up with Chelsea the dancer. So, you know, it's like, and and at least like the Apple tools, they're not like really good. Like if you're dictating and you want, I think they improved in, in the in the new OS, but like if you're dictating and you want to add it, um, you have to stop the dictation, then you add the text and then you go back to the dictation. So it's like very, you know, um, there's a lot of boilerplate in there. And, and one of the things that, uh, uh, one of the things, so I struggle a lot with those. And then when you want to code using those tools, it's like, it's really, really hard because, you know, if, if you say like new line, the, are you like writing new line or do you want a new line? So for example, uh, speaking about Whisper, there was a project which was trying to use Whisper for commands. So I, I could be, I could say like A uh, plus, and then if I Whisper plus, it knows that I mean the operator. So it would use Whisper for like dictating, for like figure out that you are using special notation and direct to, to write things down. And, you know, like it would be very exciting to see, you know, you know, I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's Elixir or not, but like the quality of those tools being improved because it would benefit me. Um, and, but I also want like, so going back to like to the democratizing AI, like you have like GitHub Copilot that has like some of the controversy behind it as well, because, you know, like, is it running on everybody's code? Where are the permissions and so on? Uh, but again, it's like, it's gated, right? Uh, it's gated behind something that we can see, we don't have access. Uh, and how awesome would be if we could have like 
a version of Copilot just running on Livebook or one or one that is like, um, and then we, we go for Hex, we get all the, Hex has the licenses. So we get the code from Hex that have the proper licenses. So there's like a lot of interesting stuff that we can do or even things like imagine that, you know, maybe we could, the Elixir documentation is accessible. Like it, we can access it interactively. What if we could get all the Elixir documentation and give it to a machine learning model and I can ask questions to it, right? And then I ask like, what is a string? And then it's going to say, it's a UTF-8 encoded binary. So I feel like maybe in the future we can see useful applications by, you know, having like these, the machine learning tooling now like readily available and in our hands there is some potential there in terms of application. And if we do those things, I really want like to make this in Livebook and make it open source so people can also plug it in Visual Studio Code and really like making the tool accessible for everybody and not like to, to just, you know, um, whoever can afford to shell out large buckets of money to NVIDIA. Um, I wanted to go back to something that we had started talking about before we um, began this episode, and it was the process of um, creating and releasing Bumblebee and the secrets that you were mentioning. Just like, how is that? What was that like to create that and coordinate it and everything? If you want to talk about that. Yeah, so for, for Bumblebee, when we announced it, it was like, well, it always started with NX. When we started with NX, we 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 kept it uh, under wraps for a while because we were not sure if it was feasible or doable or you know there were a lot of concerns so we were playing doing prototypes and then when I, we started seeing the numbers like oh it's three thousand times faster right uh, and that's without the gpu when you put the gpu it's like four orders uh, five orders of magnitude faster and i was like oh my god like this is very exciting but we are not sure, so we want to iron out the 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 details, and then I it was kind of like exciting to to like to start. Then later was live books, so we were like building those things and announcing them. And I think the biggest one was Bumblebee because Bumblebee. So Bumblebee, for those who are not familiar, it's like so now that we have neural networks, one of the hard thing with neural networks that in order for you to use it, you have to train it. In training a neural network, especially those large ones like stable diffusion, it's very, very expensive. It takes quite a lot of time. It takes like this powerful hardware. So enter uh, Hugging Face, which I believe is one of the companies that are truly like democratizing AI. What they do is that uh, they, you know, they do a lot of things, but what is important for Bumblebee is that people can train machine learning models and upload the parameters of the, the uh, of the neural network and other machine learning models to Hugging Face, and anybody can download and use them. So, so we, when we start with Bumblebee, uh, I I I knew that. So, like there, there's a disclaimer here is that actually I'm not that well versed in machine learning stuff, but I I knew that the direction that I want to go was, look, uh, we want to be able to. I knew that the, the the demos, so like one year before Bumblebee was launched, if you ask like, what are we working on? It was at the demo that I showed to everybody. I wanted to go to Livebook, click a button, run a machine learning model, show how it works, get that code, put into a Phoenix application with as little changes as possible and have that machine learning run in, in, in that application. 
but like to develop that, we had to, to do Bumblebee, which is uh, built on top of uh, NX is built, uh, which is like the, it's the foundation layer and then there's Excel on top. And then we are starting to, Jonathan and Sean, they start to implement like those really large uh, neural network models. And now like we're starting to find bugs in the compiler, in the NX compiler, because it was slow in certain paths because nothing before gave such a big uh, like code for it to compile to the GPU. And then there were like things to improve in Exxon and then decisions we did in the past. So it was like such a long process that was like touching so many different tools at the same time. And then after we did that, um, we, we were like, okay, but now we have to work on the, on the live book interface. And then we started working on the live book interface and then, uh, which is another project. And then we started talking with the Hugging Face people. Uh, they were super welcoming and they were like very excited about what we were doing. And then, and they were like, hey, does it make sense to announce those things together? They're like, definitely, this will be very exciting. So we're like, now we have to announce it with another company. I remember like when, when we launched Bumblebee, finally, we had like, a, I, I feel like the, the launch itself took a whole week just to go through everything, through all of the pieces, you know, get everybody in touch, write the documentation, write the announcements, coordinate with this, coordinate with that. It was like a announcement week, just doing announcement work. And I said, you know, like I am, I'm fine with not having secrets for now. Like, let's just, you know, let's just do everything open from now on because uh, I, I don't want to, for now, like I have no energy to coordinate such uh, uh, a big launch, but it, it was really exciting, but you know, it, it just takes a different amount of different energy from you. It's like, it's, you know, I guess even if you say you've never built a product with Elixir, I think you're sort of packaging and putting together products just within the Elixir ecosystem in that regard. Unfortunately, I think we're hitting the end of our time. Uh, I could have this conversation for many more hours and I hope you will show up at ElixirConf EU and maybe we'll continue some of it there. Maybe we'll do it live. But that's it for this episode. So I'll thank Jose. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Uh, very quickly about Elixir Confu. Uh, I'll definitely be there. Uh, and, you know, Jonathan is also going to be there talking about the machine learning stuff. Uh, Voitex going to be there talking about Livebook Desktop. Uh, Guillaume, who is the PhD student uh, working on a type system, is going to be there as well talking about his work. So, if the things we discussed today is exciting to you, are exciting to you, uh, you should definitely come to Elixir Conference and um, and we'll meet there. I'll talk either about Livebook or about the type system or both. Um, I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Exciting. We'll find out. All right. That wraps up this episode of Beam Radio. Another shout out to our lovely sponsors, Kuroxio, Career Fuel for Programmers, and Underjord, my company. We have got some conferences coming up that some of us are very involved in and very excited about. 
Uh, first up in May, on May 19th and 20th, we've got Gig City Elixir, which is happening in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, if that makes you think of Bruce, you would be right to do so because he is one of the forces behind this conference. It looks like you guys have got an absolutely great lineup uh, of speakers, a bunch of wonderful topics and a training, some trainings possibly happening the day before the conference. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. And I think the very first time I met you, I asked you why there's a a dot after a a function that you assign to a variable. I think that was like ElixirConf 2017, 2018, something like that. Okay. Yeah. A, very, a very memorable interaction, I suppose. Why, why there is the dot for calling anonymous functions, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well... I, I I wouldn't be able to single out uh, any single person from that information based yeah, on the, that's what, that's the amount of times I'm asked that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have yeah. a, an article about this uh, that it's sitting on my gists for um, probably almost three years or something like that called Why the Dot that explains everything in an article. But I have not... I have to publish it sometime.